0: This episode of the Paddock Pass Podcast is brought to you by Renthal Street Components. Over 800 street fitments for handbars, bar mounts, clip-ons, brake pads, chains, and sprockets.
1: Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass Podcast brought to you by Renthal Street. On today's podcast, we've got a very special edition podcast because it's a breaking news edition of the Paddock Pass Podcast. It may not have been a surprise announcement, but the announcement was finally made today that Mark Marquez will leave Repsol Honda and HRC at the end of the season. And obviously this has been the biggest talking point for us on the podcast for the last couple of months. So we could not have a special edition podcast just to bring everyone up to date on the news. Myself, Steve English, Neil Morrison, David Emmett, Adam Wheeler, and also a special guest, Neil Hodgson, all giving us plenty of insight through the course of this show. So Neil, we'll come straight to you. What does this news mean for MotoGP?
2: Uh, I mean, it's pretty seismic, Steve. Um, The fact that we've been talking about it and speculating about it for the last couple of months, um, I think, you know, the surprise factor wasn't necessarily there because everything at metege last weekend pointed to this being imminent this arriving imminently um but when you take a step back and look at it and think of what mark and repsol honda have achieved over 11 years um not so much in the last 4 but certainly in the uh, the 7 years the first 7 years of their working relationship i mean it was um it was as good as it got and you know mark cemented his status in that time as one of the all-time greats of the sport um, just racked up ludicrous numbers, and the fact that he's leaving the most successful team, the most successful manufacturer in MotoGP history, to go to a satellite Ducati squad, you know, the 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 kind of the fourth best Ducati team, uh, really speaks of uh, of their predicament and, and where they're at. So, yeah, I mean, not shocked, but then when I sort of think about it, I, I kind of realise that yes, this is a, this is a pretty massive thing, um, and it's it's almost difficult to get your head around. It.
1: We're obviously going to circle back to pretty much all of those points, Neil, but Adam, I want to bring you in just to talk about how stories like this develop as well, because it moves from being a couple of journalists talking about something to suddenly the whole media centre, the whole paddock and every MotoGP fan talking about it. It's one of those stories that just builds momentum step by step. And then suddenly it's a steamroller.
0: Yeah, that's right, Steve. Uh, I mean, this is the biggest switch in MotoGP, I think, since Valentino Rossi left Yamaha for Ducati. Uh, I think that's probably the nearest parallel because Rossi had a a very successful spell with Yamaha and then, you know, made the expected switch to an Italian manufacturer. I I think the most interesting thing from a story point of view or a narrative, as you say, is just the ripples of this. Uh, What does it mean for Honda? What does it mean for the Honda teams? What does it mean for the rest of the contracts in MotoGP? I think every single rider on a Ducati now is probably sweating a little bit more. Um, how is uh, Ducati going to use whatever information that Mark can give them next year? Uh, you know, their technicians, how are they going to respond to this um, kind of peerless talent steering their machinery? So I think it's um, it's something that, like Neil says, I and mean, se- seismic is, is a fantastic word for this one because it's not just uh, a fast rider changing a bike, which we tend to see you know, at least every other year in MotoGP. This is, um, you know, I, in my opinion, the greatest motorcycle racer we've seen, uh, making a, a very big um, big change. I mean, there's all sorts of thoughts that come to mind when something like this happens. Uh, even bizarre stuff, like you must feel a little bit of sympathy for Alex Marquez because he sort of breaks away independently uh, from, from sort of Honda and, you know, reaches Ducati, does pretty well, and now he's got his brother... <laughs> you know, um, stealing all his thunder again, that kind of independence sort of has gone. Um, you know, there, there's yeah, there's all co- sorts of connotations from this move. Dave, obviously enough, I think that probably the
1: easiest place to see what motivates Mark was the Amazon Prime documentary he did. It was titled All In for a very specific reason. He wanted everyone to know he was doing everything he could to be as fit as possible, get back to the front of the field. It's two years since he won a race. He's tried everything. And this was the last resort for him.
3: Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, he has done everything. He has subjected himself. I mean, first of all, uh, the way that he broke his arm, was that down to the Honda? Was that down to him? And certainly it's down to his, you know, he was riding very aggressively. uh, But he also got spat off a little bit strangely. So maybe uh, uh, Honda had a a role in his crash or uh, perhaps he blares some blame, but certainly like trying to ride a week later, that was all on market. So he messed that up himself, but then he did do absolutely everything to come back and riding. He was riding. He was, uh, he was riding injured. You know, he was riding hurt. Um, he was in pain off the bike as well as on the bike, uh, while his, while his arm was still hurting. And he, he was still putting him through through, through himself through everything. Uh, four operations, a very very major one, uh, w- with the chance of things going wrong uh, to finally fix it. Um, and he's clearly back to his old self. He's obviously you know riding as well as he has he has ever done. Uh, and he just you know like I keep making this call co- this um, comparison with Eddie Merckx uh, as the cannibal. He just wants to win. You know he is giving up sort of you know the thick end of 20 million to ride for virtually nothing or possibly even nothing just so he can win a race again well
1: let's just park the money side of it because we're obviously going to come to that down the line in the pod but i find it really interesting this announcement's made pretty much neil four years to the day since for me what we saw just the definitive mark marquez race thailand 2019 world championship on the line and he just couldn't accept Fabio Quattroaro beating him. And we haven't seen Mark like that at the front of the field since then. It's two years since he won a race, all those kind of things. But that race showed his need, his desire. The only thing that mattered to Mark was winning. And from that point onwards, it's been that steady decline, or, well, not a steady decline. He fell off a cliff compared to what his expectations would have been. But when you look at that, Mark, is he still there for if and when it's confirmed that he goes to Corsini?
2: Uh I would say so, Steve. Yeah. Um is he is he the twenty nineteen mark, the pre upper right arm injury mark? Maybe not. Maybe that's up for some debate. But is he still good enough to be a world champion in MotoGP? GP? Yeah, I definitely think so. Uh you just have to look at some of his recent performances on the Honda. Um I think they've been pretty pretty impressive. Um, even if the results might not exactly say as much. Um and we have, you know, since that that kind of fateful July afternoon in 2020, you know, we have seen Mark ridiculously competitive and kind of showing signs of, of being, you know, the rider that we saw before the injury. Even as recently as uh, Le Mans this year, you know, where he was heroically fighting with Jorge Martin at Le Mans, um, you know, at a track where just the other Honda riders were nowhere. He was almost second or third at the end of that race. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. A few comments over the weekend there at Metteghi, I think Kyle Crotso was asked, how will, will Mark get on in a Ducati? I think Cal's been off this impre- of this opinion for quite a while that you know the others may as well give up <laughs> before they even line up in the grid because he's going to be that strong, and it is quite a frightful prospect when you think of um, you know the probably the most talented rider on the grid getting on board the the best bike, um, even if it is the year old version of the of the Ducati that he'll be riding next year. Um, yeah, I still think he's going to be very very competitive. Are we going to see him? You know win every race I don't think so I think it's going to be he's definitely going to be in the mix but I wouldn't go as far as saying that he's going to blitz everyone on a Ducati I think some might feel that but I would say it's not going to be that clear cut
0: Neil's like 100% right Uh, you know I think the possibilities of Mark on a Ducati are frightening um, for everybody else but then we just can't forget the sporting side of it as well I mean he crashed in Portimao took out Miguel Oliveira, broke his hand, missed a couple of races there's nothing to say that you know, Mark needs to discover the limits. If he takes his usual MO from the Honda days, I mean, and for me, a quintessential Marquez moment was turn one at Valencia. You know, if he takes that kind of approach to Ducati, it's, that's not to say it's really going to work. I mean, maybe there's a lot more mystery about one of the GP22 or 23, whatever he's going to be on, even uh, you know, a 24. And I think, you know, we can't take it as a given that he's going to be absolutely kicking ass or back to a 2019 Marquez. There's obviously going to be a transition there, but the guy's natural ability is fierce, of course.
1: But Adam, that's where I think the interesting comparison you made with Rossi whenever he moved from Honda to Yamaha and then Yamaha to Ducati, it was more when he moved from Ducati back to Yamaha. Suddenly all these riders had seen him get beaten. They all knew that they were able to... Perform better than he could. Now we've had four years where riders have established themselves in the Ducati, given themselves title chances, won world championship, won a lot of races, and now we'll get to see if Mark's still that guy, if he still has that aura.
0: Yeah, I mean, the Rossi returns a good point, Steve. I mean, Jorge Lorenzo as well, jumping off a of Yamaha to Ducati. These are, I mean, even this year, there must be something in the air. Jonathan Ray, the greatest superbike rider of all time, you know, also cutting a contract short. Um, we're talking about financially secure elite athletes that still have this freaky kind of energy or desire burning within to achieve something, even though they've done everything. It's, um, it's It makes them a special study of, of person, I think. And that's why this case of Mark is very compelling. I mean, we're making assumptions, of course, about uh, Grassini and Jacati. Uh, you know that that's not completely confirmed, or how the team is going to be, and what what what's the structure behind it. But uh, yeah, it's um, curious, curious people. It is always
1: interesting, though. Like it's almost like the the millionaire syndrome of I trade all I trade all my money for just that little bit more, and Mark would trade all of his race wins, all of his world championships for more. Uh, and this is what gives them that opportunity. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what that means.
3: Uh, yeah. The, um, I remember listening to a uh, radio program about uh, sort of top CEOs. They were talking to a recruiter for people, uh, for, you know, top CEOs, people at, at the very top of business. And basically what it came down to when they were talking about salaries was the first question was not, you know, how much am I going to earn? It's how much are the others earning because I want more than them. That is what this is about. This is about, uh, you know, like winning more. It's about beating other people. Um, the uh, fantastic um, uh, uh Gore Vidal quote about um, it is not enough to succeed, others must fail. Uh, he has to, he still has that drive to actually win. And as for adapting to the, to the Ducati, the bike stops and the bike accelerates. I don't think it is going to be an issue for him. Just uh, to move it on a little bit, to talk about the impact it
1: has for Honda and for MotoGP. Neil, you kind of brought this up at the start of the show. What does it mean for Honda and not just the Repsol Honda team, LCR as well?
2: Um, well, I think it's uh, it's obviously not a good look for Honda. As I mentioned, leaving the factory Honda team to go to Ducati's fourth team uh, on a year-old bike isn't uh, you know a kind of wild endorsement of um Mark's belief in Honda and their ability to turn things around. Um I was speaking to someone earlier about this. I think in the short term it's it's pretty disastrous for Honda, you know, for their hopes of maybe scoring podiums, top six finishes next year. It's it's definitely a hit. But in the long term, you know, maybe this is just what what they need because it's it's been clear for so many years that Honda can they could show up and they could bring some ragged ass bike which is peaky and difficult to ride, but It needs to be written very specifically, and if it's just tailored to Mark's needs, then he can kind of do the rest. No one else can get on with that. And we've seen Ori Lorenzo, Danny Pedrosa, Paul Aspargaro, Joanne Meir, superb riders, multiple world champions, not be able to get the best out of that. You know, this could be the situation where Honda finally realize that they're going to have to bring a proper rounded package to the table and not just some kind of wild, peaky thing that only Mark can ride. I would, uh,
3: partly agree and partly disagree with that. I think in the short term, uh, yeah, I mean, look, Honda faced the possible loss of some sponsors. Uh, they, uh, it, it, it's, you know, not a great PR look. Uh, but I think it, 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 it is good for the long-term development of the bike because, uh, as you say, Neil, you know, like they have to build a better bike, but not only that, they can actually get on and develop it without the pressure. If you have Mark Marquez on your bike, you're expected to win tomorrow. Now, Honda also expects them, expect to be able to win, but it's easier for a manufacturer to take a step back and, you know, work towards the future. Uh, if they have a little bit more time and a little less pressure than having quite obviously the best rider in the world. I mean, like the, the, the storyline every single weekend is. Uh, Honda failed again, you know, this is the best rider in the world and even he can't win on it. Now it'll be, we've got some good riders, so they should be able to do something with this bike, but it needs to improve. I think it frees up a little bit of space, a little bit of pressure. Uh, It takes uh, some of the panic out of the situation.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, Mark isn't, sorry to add to to butt in there, but um, I think Mark isn't completely free of... um you know, some blame for Honda's current predicament. I think there was a, a point in uh, the the Amazon uh, documentary when he was saying how, you know, he pretty much was the only one pushing ahead with a certain development direction, choosing certain parts when everyone else hated them. You know, he is a bit of an outlier in terms of how he rides the bike, his riding style. Um, you know, they won't have to kind of cater for that sort of strange, crazy riding style that he has. They'll, as Dave says, you know, have to think more about the collective
0: yeah but then when was the last time Repsol or honda were without you know um, a sport defining rider steering you know the motorcycle down I mean, now they're in this situation and you know okay maybe they're gonna have to wait a season before they can tempt maybe fabio Cuartararo or uh, i don't know offer someone like pedro acosta a ridiculous contract to get that star power back but um, now they're going to be in this phase where, okay, they can maybe develop the equivalent of Yamaha's M1 from six years ago. But uh, what's the point if you maybe you know, your whole operation is downsizing because you've lost, like Dave says, title sponsors or, or general interest?
3: well i mean they're also going to be saving a massive wedge of money which they'll be able to spend on the, on development you know like so if mark is getting i don't know 20 million or something uh, whoever they get back they will pay five six seven million and that's 13 million that they can spend on
0: development on the subject of honda i mean we're, we've all said that this is big news are we slightly surprised that it was announced in this way or maybe hrc had first word because that was part of the Um, severance agreement, if you like, because you have to imagine that um, a Marquez-Grassini-Ducati team launch is going to generate a lot of interest for a supposed satellite team. Uh, And also now the Valencia test has also just grown in extra importance or certainly um, uh, content-happy material, we could say.
2: Yeah, if Honda allow Mark to to ride the Ducati at Valencia, which I guess isn't exactly a given just yet, um, that needs to be confirmed. Um, But I think... On our podcast that we recorded on Monday about the Japanese GP, strangely, Dave said exactly how this was going to play out this week. And uh, I'm slightly alarmed by the fact that it's uh, it's actually come to pass.
3: Yeah, you, you should all be afraid. My powers of prediction are now becoming
0: uh, uh, accurate. Yeah, even a broken clock's right twice a day, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> and also, how'd you explain your race predictions for the last three years?
2: Only three years, Ed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Been saving it all up for this moment nothing easy about
1: predictions but one thing that is easy is to get the thoughts of Neil Hodgson. We wanted to bring in Hodgie because he's a former world champion in the superbike class and so knows what it's like to expect to win, what it's like to be at the front of the field, challenge for championships and the motivation that comes for trying to do that again. Hodgie's also a commentator for BT Sports now so he's in the paddock all the time and he acts as a rider manager too. He's Alex Lowe's manager in World Superbike, so he's got lots of experience dealing with Japanese manufacturers and the mechanisms that are in the contract so really interesting to get three or four minutes from Haji so let's hear what he has to say
4: well first of all let me just say gentlemen it's an honor to be on the paddock pass podcast as you know I am an avid listener there's a lot of podcasts out there but I think yours is the best believe it or not ladies and gentlemen I've not been paid to say that neither um well first of all me and uh my, Myself and David, we have had some discussions on this over the last month. It's, we've been backward and forward. I've been texting him. He's been texting me. It's on. It's off. It's on. I think deep down we all thought that it was going to happen, but then it couldn't happen because it is so big. It was. It's been. It's been a real dilemma. And I have literally, I, I've changed my mind probably a hundred times on this. First of all, I just want to say how excited I am about it. The prospect. For me, still, Mark Marquez is the best MotoGP rider. In fact, I, I've, I've said this a lot on, on TNT Sport, he's the greatest motorcycle racer I've ever seen. I've never, ever seen anyone with so much desire. I think the closest, and I've thought about this over the years, the closest I've ever seen, and don't get me wrong, you Mike Hillwood's, Jeff Jukes, I wasn't around contrary to popular belief, so I, I can't comment on that era, but in my era, the most determined rider I ever saw was Mick Doohan, and he, he obviously he could back that up with with his skill. But Mark's another level. Um, when I talked to Simon Crafer about it, we both agree, and I think most riders, current or ex, agree that Mark is just an animal. Um, his desire to win is on on a scale that I've never seen, and I think I think this. What what we're talking about, this subject now, him leaving Honda, moving to Ducati, really sums that desire up. He's be clearly prepared to throw away huge amounts of money, tens of millions, which I know he's financially secure, but still, I don't know many riders that would do this. Most riders would see the, the end of the contract out and then sort, you know, search for a better motorcycle, a better ride. But that's not Mark, he said. you remember he said about Valentino at near the end of his career? He couldn't really understand why Valentino was continuing. I know that didn't go down well. And he said he was not prepared to ride round and make up the numbers. Well, I tell you what, he's a man of his word. Um, as far as getting out of the contract, I have, I have seen a few Japanese contracts. I manage Alex Lowes. I've seen Yamaha and Kawasaki contracts. I've read them through on numerous occasions and there are lots of penalties, lots of fines. There's a lot more penalties than you would believe in a contract. Um, but they are there, they're in place. so I think that side of, of of it maybe is not as big as you would think or as complicated as you think because it's been it's there in black and white, so they'll know what they had to deal with. I wonder what with regards to team sponsors, if you are HRC and you've got a contract with Repsol, how that works out, because I'm I'm sure that the big companies that sponsor HRC would want Mark in the team. So with him pulling out, then you've got that knock-on effect, that ripple effect of how that's going to affect their budget. But whew, anyway, all I can say is, God, I'm so excited to see Mark. I hope you know I'm hoping as well. You'll like this. I hope. Ducati give him last year's bike. I think that's what he will be on anyway, but I hope he doesn't get any special parts. And I genuinely still think he will make the difference. The question is, how long will it take him to adapt to the bike? Well, I'm going to give him five laps. What do you reckon, chaps? Five or or less? Anyway. Watch this space. It's going to be exciting. And uh, thanks for having me on the Paddock Pass podcast.
1: Great to get Hodgie's insight there. And David, like Neil said on that, you've talked to him a lot over the course of the last few weeks, whether it's in the paddock or just over text messages. How much of what you have talked about has actually transpired?
3: Well, considering we uh, all of, we went over every single possible option, all of it, obviously. Except for him
1: staying at Honda, probably Except that was probably the staying- only option you didn't
3: think of. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, we did, we did. I did also look uh, say look bad news. It sounds like he's staying uh, at Honda, but that didn't happen.
1: Just one thing about it, Adam, because I, I said on the pod a few weeks ago that when there's this much information out in the open, it's always there for a reason. And in the media centre, like we talked about at the start of the show, whenever the momentum starts to build, whenever everyone's got their little tidbits of information that you can put together, it really does show. Just how motivated someone is to actually
3: move. One thing: uh, all of this has come from Honda. None of it has come from Grassini. That's been amazing. It's been absolutely amazing that nothing has come out of, uh, of Grassini. I don't think I've heard a single thing out of them.
0: And also, Marcus I think has handled this quite well because there's been speculation um, ever since he started, you know, gesturing towards his motorcycle and making uh, his body language quite. Evident how he felt with the situation this season. And like you say, Steve, in the wake of the Amazon Prime series, uh, you know, the willy-won'ty divorce from Honda has been in the air for quite some time. And I guess that was the the step, you know, that like we said on the podcast two weeks ago, Mark was going to Japan really just to complete the formalities, um, make the respectful gesture of saying, thank you very much, but I'm going. And uh, like you say, if we don't know anything yet about the Grassini, the terms of the agreement, whether it's just a quick "I'm jumping on your saddle" for one year, or there's he has a greater input in bringing sponsors to the team, or perhaps even team ownership. Uh, these are these are factors that we don't know yet. But uh, you know, I, I think we've just been reading into some of his comments. I mean, Mark has also been raging at Honda in the past when when the motorcycle was notoriously difficult to ride. Like, you know, Dave and Neil have pointed out, you know, there's been some some rows from what I've heard inside behind the scenes, at HRC, just the general um, malaise of the development and how the bike was, you know, chucking him down the road. Um, yeah. Mark has a style where he seeks the limits and goes beyond. But then, you know, that's there for a reason. Uh, so yeah, it's um, I've completely forgot what your original question was, Steve. But it was um, it was I for, you know tipping the cap really to Mark for the way he strung everybody along, and then eventually you know this uh, news came out.
1: Yeah, I have to say, you mentioned there about some of the rumors about what could happen down the line. For me, the crazy rumors when people talk about going back to Honda in the future, like the year after yeah. next, twenty twenty five. Because if if he thinks there's a possibility that the bike's going to be good, then he doesn't leave. As it is, I think the one rumour that I think has a bit of substance to it is what happens with the team going forward. Because Fausto he's, he's he's dead. So what happens for that team in the future? They need someone that can take it on. Maybe Mark's that guy. Maybe that's rolled in to have the Marquez versus Rossi continuing indefinitely. And that's where the sponsors really come into it. Who does Mark bring as a sponsor? you can you can be sure there's a lot of Spanish brands that are going to want to move from Repsol Honda to be a Marc Marquez sponsor.
0: Yeah, and potentially this is ruining the whole Ducati structure. I mean, what if he wipes the floor of everybody and then decides to sign a two-year deal with to ride KTMs or Aprilians? Uh, You know, I going back to HRC and just how kind of rigid their sort of policy or the, their um, philosophy seems to be compared to European brands, I, I think that's a bit far-fetched, but you know, there's no, there's nothing stopping him from trying to Ducati for a year, and then you know, messing up that system completely in terms of the feedback and the success he's giving and achieving, um, and then, then who knows where he's going to go?
1: Well, that's one of the more interesting things for me as well. I just, David, what do you think of that when Adam says about the structure at Ducati, because that's already been torn up by the VR46 team whenever you didn't need to be a Ducati engineer to be the crew chief you could move around freely you could stay within an organization like that and still get the good bike so it has sort of moved on already and now you bring Mark into the mix he's obviously going to look to bring Santi Hernandez with him he's going to look to bring in certain people with him so the model that Ducati have built for so long that your crew chief is going to move with you from Grassini to the factory team or whatever it was going to be for any riders that were moving in the past. That's kind of been taken away from their control a little bit. And it's interesting that Ducati, a manufacturer that are quite flexible in some ways and inflexible in others, are going to bring in this into the mix as well i think that's going to be really interesting to see the dynamics
3: well i was uh reading the piece by oriel puja montez motorsport.com and he was saying um and he is generally very well informed about this thing he's very close to people and he was basically saying that um ducati are not going to let um uh, santi hernandez or any of the crew come over because they're afraid of them coming in Uh, and then leaving again after a couple of years having had a proper good look at the uh, bike if these rumors about um, uh, going back to Honda now I I do think that there's a good chance that Mark might go back to Honda but it'll be towards the end of his career finish his career off there when the bike is good again um, uh, and basically you know like go on and become a Honda ambassador but I mean right now the other thing is, he he gets an enormous amount of freedom within uh, within Ducati, you know, he he or within a satellite team. There's no, there's not going to be any pressure on him to develop it. All that, all the pressure is going to be on uh, on the factory teams and on the Pramac team. He can just get on and ride it. He doesn't have to think about all these things. Uh, he can just work on getting a setup and then going as fast uh, as fast as possible. That's what he wants to do. Neil, it's interesting that
1: they mentions that because one of the big talking points from using in the pod this week was. About that difference between Pecco, Martin, and Bezecchi, you throw Mark into the mix as well, and then suddenly there's a whole other animal in there. So, this is something that's going to be really interesting to see how that fares out. Because if you're Bagnaya, maybe you think, Yeah, I can handle Bezzecki or I because I'm used to riding with him every day of the week at Misano between races or up at the ranch. Martin, you could look at it and think, Yeah, I'm okay dealing with him, but Mark's totally different to anyone else,
2: exactly. Yeah, and that's why the move is quite mouthwatering. just thinking about that prospect next year Mark being on a a mildly inferior bike to to Pecco and Jorge on a year old machine but certainly a machine that will be good enough to to be fighting with them Um, and yeah just we know that he's a man who loves to mess with people to upset them to try and get them out of the rhythm to play games with them Um, especially if he's fighting them for a world championship or or even a race win Um, and you know, he's, he's been a thorn in the side of Ducati for how many years, whether he's been winning world championships or he hasn't been, just with some of his tactics. You think of how often he follows their riders and the Ducati bosses can be seen in their box looking so unimpressed. Um, you know, it is, it is kind of funny in a way that he's managed to get himself inside the beast.
3: Uh, it, it reminds me the risk to Ducati for me i mean it reminds me of when valentina rossi did go to ducati because to be honest there wasn't really really an upside for valentina rossi go to go to do go to ducati uh, for ducati because if Ducati or, uh, you know, if Rossi won on the Ducati, then, you know, it was down to Valentino Rossi. And if he failed, it was down to, um, it was down to Ducati, which is exactly what happened in the end. You know, like we, we left two years later, uh, thinking, you know, this, the, the bike is terrible. Um, this, I think, if, if Mark Marquez is, what we think that he is, he's going to go in there and clean up. Uh, Then he's really going to show that the bike is still much more important. We know how how much importance Gigi Delinia puts on the fact that Ducati are building this fantastic machine. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot, a very, you get a big sense from Ducati that, you know, Ducati has won this. We uh, we have allowed Peko Bagnaia to become world champion. We've given these riders the tools for them to succeed.
1: I obviously don't want to age the silver fox when I say this, but Adam, you've been working in MotoGP since the start of the four-stroke era. You mentioned earlier on about the changes you've seen for some riders. When Rossi left Honda, it was because Honda knew they had the best bike and they could win with anyone. That was their thought. That isn't the case now. They realise that they've got the best rider and they don't want to lose him, but they've got no choice. When Rossi left Yamaha, it was because Yamaha had said, do you know what? We've got Jorge Lorenzo here. We don't need you. So they had a a ready-made replacement for Rossi to lead them going forward. Lorenzo won World Championships. It was job done for them. The only real similarity I can see is when Ducati lost Stoner. And it was one of those situations where they didn't have a succession plan and it took them a long time to recover from it. Do you think the fact that Honda for next year, Johann Zark was probably going to move to Repsol Honda, Lekona to the LCR team, you keep Nakagami and Joan Mayer and you just kind of keep rolling? Like, what do you see for the future for that team?
0: It's, it's definitely going to be a, a short-term solution isn't it um i know dave mentioned on twitter you know about um the possibilities of joe and zarko now switching across from lcr to repsol honda to use his experience and um you know that could be one option but uh, like i say when do when was the last time repsol honda didn't have basically some uh genre defining or sport defining athlete you know fronting their efforts i mean i think we're doing a bit of a disservice to juan mir i mean he's a former world champion he's new to the team of course and he's had a pretty miserable uh, season with honda up until this point but if by some remote chance there is a turnaround with the rcv for 2024 then mir uh, you know could be the sort of the new darling of that setup um, and then again, like we mentioned on the podcast, Steve, we're only sort of five, six months away from contracts being discussed for tw- uh, 2025. And again, like Dave mentioned on Twitter, if you think now is kind of juicy what's been going on, wait until you know that phase comes around.
3: Silly season next year is going to be really, really interesting where all of the riders go, where they move around. For me, the first one is Pang 24 um the the Sepang test in February there we will see whether you know how good the Yamaha Yamaha is whether Fabio Quartararo wants to stick around on that um that I think is then going to kick off lots and lots of things there's a lot of riders who are not going to stay they're going to want to move around something really interesting of course is what happens to the sponsors you know like who is Mark going to take uh, Repsol, for example, do Repsol stay uh, stay with Honda? They the, the is it twenty five or thirty years? I think nearly thirty years they've been together. It's been it's, it's been a very very long um, uh, long association. Do they go? I mean, you know, Red Bull are obviously going to kick some uh, uh, kick some money in because they've been a backer of Mark Marcus for a long time. Um, but there's lots of other sponsors who could you know, move around, which I think it could also be a motivation for Grassini to sign markets because, you know, they don't have to pay him any money because he's just going to bring a lot of money in. Adam, just one thing before we wrap it all up.
1: Have you got a week like this that you can remember where Honda's lost not just Mark, but also Chase Sexton over in the US on the dirt?
0: Yeah, I mean, the chase thing's been quite a long time. Um, in the off in Steve, and I think he's actually due in um, in uh, in KTM next week for some sort of uh, factory tour introduction. I think that's um, the general chat. Of course, he's not taking part in the motocross of nations this weekend because of that switch. And interestingly, um, contracts for AMA Supercross and motocross. Um, which you know dwarf some of the ones we see in MotoGP um, in terms of the dollars or the quantities being paid. Uh, run until the end of September, like being in beginning of October is when um, you know a lot of the team switches come just in time for off season and, and practice for Supercross. But as we know in MotoGP, and like Neil pointed out, we might not even see Mark on a new motorcycle until 2024. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's not been a it's not been a very decent time for for HRC has it uh, yes they've taken titles um, that you know Sexton won the AMA Supercross uh, 450 class uh, but losing Marquez I think this is a really big um, milestone in the history of Rapsul Honda and um, yeah I uh, I just think next year is going to be a stopgap and um, you know the likes of Alberto Puig and whoever is new in senior management when it comes to HRC and their road racing project uh, whether it's Kawata San Still or somebody else, are going to have to really scout around and think, right, who are we going to invest in for the next two to three years to bring the glory days back?
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, it's worth mentioning that we expect Joan Zarco to move up to take Mark Marquez's place from LCR and I think Ike to go to, uh, to go to LCR. Um,
0: so you'll have me. Mir- I'd Anzark- rather take Digia, Dave, than Lekawona.
3: Yeah, that's, that's a
0: good... I mean, like, yeah, th- th- that's a good shout, but I mean... Why, why would you take Lukawana? I mean, at least... Uh, what has Digi done in the a, last
2: two years to suggest that?
0: Yeah, but he's had his year of MotoGP education and he's made clear progress this year.
2: He's been on a Ducati for nearly two seasons and scored a best result of eight.
0: Right. Well, I mean, Luca Marini's been on a Ducati for two seasons. And, and he's scored podiums. Yeah. Well, exactly. how many?
2: Not many, but he's been a top six guy.
0: Well, that's two positions away from eighth. There's a world of difference.
1: I think the one reason that Lekwona is so important for Honda is he's probably the only rider in the world that wants to be on that bike as well. So availability is the most important ability and he's available and wants to move. And what's interesting for me is that in the Superbike paddock, when you talk to people within Ducati about this over the last few rounds, it was very clear that they were getting ready for their next eventualities. And that meant making sure that Michael Rubin Rinaldi was lined up with Honda to be able to get himself ready to move into a different factory in the Superbike class. So it's been in the offing for a long time. And there's been a few times where things have sort of played played into the hands of some riders.
0: Well, don't forget. According to Speedweek, maybe Augusto Fernandez needs to also find a motorcycle. I mean, there are a couple of people around with more MotoGP experience than like Iku Um I know. To be fair to him, you know, he was of riding a KTM at a time when KTM was not the the best motorcycle on the grid, or nowhere near it, or near the current version. But you know, I think there are still a couple of other options for Honda that might be a little bit more promising.
3: Uh, Yeah, but I mean, like they've already more or less got Eko Lukoona on the contracts. You know, there's already an established relationship. It's much easier just to move uh, Lukoona up, especially if it's just going to be a stopgap for a year. We can see, and you're giving him another chance to uh, to develop, to actually show upside. In the end, it's going to be about who they think has got the most upside. It looks like Digia has reached his peak. Um, Augusto Fernandes, I think, can still develop. I think he's done really well this year and could do better. Um, Lecoana has shown uh, promise, and there's still a lot of belief that he can be really talented and improve. So let's see.
1: Yeah, for me, Lecoana over the last two years in superbikes, he's been one of the bigger disappointments. I think everyone expected a lot more from him. Javi Vierge has outperformed him this year in terms of consistency, not making mistakes. Lecoana's ceiling's probably higher than Javi is but. I would side with Adam that there would be better options, but the fact that he's available and willing is what gives him that edge.
0: Well, let's also assume that a contract doesn't mean so much. And we were talking about that only recently when it comes to Jake Dixon, once he had confirmed another year with, you know, Gas Gas Aspar team. Uh, why why stop, you know, just at Spanish or Italian riders? I mean, why not give Darren Binder another year on it? Or why not um, promote Joe Roberts, even though he signed for the American racing team? If Dorna have the pull to suddenly place... A rider in a vacant seat, maybe say to Lucio Cecchinello, you know, here we're going to pay, we're going to help finance um, you taking this particular rider because it helps our markets, then, you know, that could be a realistic option. Well, it's one of those
1: situations where, again, you need a rider willing to do that. Is being a MotoGP and saying that you're a MotoGP rider the main goal for you? If it is, then the Honda seat, especially the LCR, is one that you're interested in. If it isn't, and you're looking to give yourself the best chance of being able to be a MotoGP rider for 10 years, win races, challenge at the front, then jumping on the LCR bike for next year isn't going to give you that. Binder's already done one year in the class. If he goes in and does the second year and disappoints, he's never getting back into there. So there's always a reason why riders aren't that willing to make the jump as well
3: yeah and what's the added value to tnt sports to have jake dixon jump on the uh, worst bike on the grid the most difficult bike on the grid um miss a bunch of races because he keeps spitting himself into low earth uh, low earth orbit um and injures himself so uh, i i think it is also you know who's actually willing to go there i think there's going to be a lot of riders we saw this with Joe Roberts turning Joe Roberts turning down the Aprilia. Um, a lot of riders are just going to say, uh, "No, too risky. I don't want to touch it. I'll wait until the bike until the bike is better." Obviously,
1: enough for us on the team. We've talked about the sponsors for Mark Marquez for Honda for. Grissini, we need to talk about sponsors for us as well if you're interested to get involved with Paddock Pass podcast, drop us an email at uh, team at paddockpasspodcast.com and we'll get back to you, as it is, we've been able to put together this show at pretty short notice so a big thank you to Rentall Street for that also, if you like this kind of content, check out patreon.com forward slash paddockpasspodcast and become a Paddock Insider until next week on the show we'll be back to preview the Indonesian Grand Prix But uh, something tells me we'll probably have a few mentions about Mark on that show as well.